Welcome to Wisdom and the Word Podcast, the show that not only answers your questions from God's Word, but equips believers with the foundational truths for their faith. We're excited that you've taken time to join us and hope that today's content is valuable to you. In today's episode, Pastor Wiley continues his study through the book of Hebrews. Welcome to the Tuesday broadcast of Wisdom and the Word. We're glad that you're joining us today. On our Tuesday broadcast, we are walking through together, verse by verse, through the book of Hebrews, a great study, uh, speaking about better things that come from Christ, or Christ is better. And again, we find that phrase 13 times in the book of Hebrews, uh, over and over again, it's stated. Today, we are looking at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. And again, I'm going to read the text once again. Uh, we'll probably pick up with verses 7, 8, and 9 next week uh, to kind of finish off uh, this particular study. Uh, as we are going through, we've commented on the fact that this is one of the most difficult passages uh, in interpretation in all the Bible. There are varied varied interpretations, varied approaches to this. Uh, primarily, what we understand is happening here is some sort of apostasy, falling away, um, a deliberate walking away from the faith. Uh, we see that given to us here in these verses. Uh, some have interpreted this to mean that uh, there's a potential, a possibility of being able to lose your salvation. Of course, we believe the Bible teaches eternal security, that it is impossible once you know Christ as Savior uh, to be able to traverse back across and become unsaved again. And at the same time, as we look at this passage, it's important to note what this passage is actually teaching uh, if it is not teaching the loss of our salvation and what is happening here in these verses. And so uh, let's read verses four to six and jump into our study. Again, we'll remind you of what we said last week and then get into some new material. Hebrews chapter six, beginning in verse number four, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. And were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Now, again, as we approach this passage of Scripture, we've got to consider what has been happening in order for us to understand. We can't just jump into verse number four. And we said last week that one of the things we need to be aware of is this concept of the almost, being being aware, being aware of the almost. You know, one of the things about Christianity, one of the things we see in the Scriptures is the matter of fruitfulness and faithfulness seem to be evidentiary in relationship to our salvation. That is, uh, when we know Christ as Savior, there are some things that are going to accompany it in order to provide proof, authenticity, genuineness, to show that we are genuinely converted and we know the Lord. One of those things was the fruit that we examined. We're going to see that later on in verses 7 and 8 of this particular text. Another thing that we see is the continuity, faithfulness, and continuing, those that know the Lord Jesus Christ will continue in their faith even through trials and even through tests. We have examples of people that we talked about who were almost Christians. Uh, King Agrippa was one, Simon the Sorcerer another, Judas Iscariot, probably the most famous of all of them in the Bible. Jesus talks about different kinds of soil, one, one that springs up 
and with joy receives the word, but has no root and then fades away. Uh, Peter talks about a tr- our trials. And um, Paul would tell the Corinthians to examine themselves, whether they're actually in the faith. First uh, John 2.19, uh, the Bible says, uh, they went out from us and did not continue with us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. Well, they went out from us that they might be made manifest. And so First John 2.19 seems to indicate this matter of faithfulness as well. Abandonment uh, is not part of the uh, concept of, of what, what it means to be a true and genuine Christian. So, we said there are some characters that we can talk about, some people in the Bible who give us an idea of what this looks like. And then as we approach this particular text, last week we said, listen, it's important that we look at this through the right lens, that as we come to verse four, we understand what's been transpiring. And we said, first off, there's an ethnic lens. Uh, we have to look at this in a Jewish filter, Um the doctrines that are listed in verses one and two uh, are, are all have connections to Old Testament uh, teaching, all Old Testament con- concept. And the fact that their, their um, lack of spiritual development is not just a lack of maturity, but a matter of not fully having received the things that they've observed. They're just, they're on the cusp of belief, but don't seem to want to make that make that leap, make that jump. Secondly, we said that you got to look at it through the contextual lens that the writer of Hebrews has warned in previous chapters about the day of provocation and that they failed to enter into God's rest because they failed to believe. And these people are in the same danger. Uh, They've experienced all the advantages that are listed in this chapter. They've seen the work of Jesus Christ. They've seen the power of the Holy Spirit. And their lack of progression is not just a sign of spiritual immaturity, but a lack of willingness to move into the promised land and the rest of the saved life beyond the basic doctrines that are connected to Old Testament Judaism. There's a fear here that they're going to return back to Old Testament Judaism. So as we give all of these kind of concepts, now we're, we're free to kind of move into the text to give ourselves some better understanding. Notice, if you would, I want to continue on. We start, we looked at the lens. Now I want to look at the list. There's a list that's given to us here in verses four and five, and there's a list of five things. And you're going to look at this list and uh, like many, and even many scholars, there's a lot of debate and disagreement over this passage. Um, for those that would look at this passage and say that these people are saved individuals, they would do so on the basis of the list that's given here in verses four and five. There are five things that are talked about. And as we go through each one of them individually, you're going to come out probably looking at this going, how are these people not saved? And that's the conclusion that many commentators come to when they read through this. But again, I want to go through it and kind of show that it is possible to have experienced these things, but certainly not to know Christ uh, as Savior. Notice with me, if you would, the beginning of the list, as we look at verse four, uh, notice he says, for it is impossible for those who were, and he's going to give us a list. All of these, these things are connected All right. They're all connected to the concept of impossible and falling away. That is, it is impossible if people fall away to renew them again to repentance. And these people that are falling away, there are five things that kind of uh, that kind of characterize them in this text. First off, the Bible says that they were once enlightened, once enlightened. 
Now, as we deal with this concept of enlightenment here, again, uh, what it means to be enlightened, to step into the light, uh, to have your minds and your uh, thoughts open uh, to truth. Uh, of course, we know that um, this was the devil's promise back in uh, the Garden of Eden, that they, they would, the people would, would, when they sinned, that Adam and Eve would be enlightened, that their eyes would be opened and they would know good from evil. You know, when we talk about the matter of enlightenment, um, and we've talked about this a little bit, you know, the truth of the matter is you can date Jesus and you can know some truth and you can know about truth and know about truths. But it's also possible to date Jesus and not actually know him as your personal Lord and Savior. Um, think about it. You know, you can know truth. You can you can know truth, but not fully receive it and not fully believe it. Um, for example, people come into church a lot and you can learn sit in church and you can learn a lot of good things a lot of good Bible things. You can be enlightened to truth. For example, uh, people might come into church and they might say, well, listen, I learned how to how to deal rightly in my business, how to be a, a good business person, how to have ethics, um, how to be able to work, a work ethic. I learned, you know, what, what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to behave, how I'm supposed to treat my boss, how my, my boss is supposed to treat me, how I'm supposed to treat those who are underneath me. People can learn a lot of good business, business ethics. They can learn what it means to have a better marriage. People can come into church and uh, they can sit under the preaching of the word of God and listen about how a husband's supposed to love his wife and a wife's supposed to reverence her husband and and the the mutual love that they're supposed to share for one another how supposed how they're supposed to parent their children uh, they can become better fathers and better mothers and and certainly I mean in the the in the, the church we're trying to encourage and we're trying to equip people in these matters we're trying to help them and it's not maybe the, the point of every message but there are principles and truths that are they're woven into uh, the teaching of the word of God. And so people can come in and they can receive enlightened truth to be able to help them in just about every area. They can, you know, learn about what it means to forgive somebody and how to release uh, somebody from uh, the difficulties they're having and, and learn about a worldview that helps explain things. And they can learn a lot about a lot of things when they come in. They can be enlightened. There's a difference between having new insight and being a new creature. You know, there's, there's a difference between coming in and, and hearing things and hearing truthful things and knowing the truth. There's a difference between that and coming to a place where we is believe we come to a place where we believe and we come to faith in Christ. Hearing something and nodding in agreement is not necessarily being a new creature. It's one thing to have new insight. It's another thing altogether to be a new creature altogether. I mean, when God promised even the Old Testament, uh, he promised uh, some things that I think are, you know, very important. He promised in Ezekiel chapter number 11, if you go back there uh, for just a moment, um, and you read what um, what the Bible says here in this text, he, Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse number 19, the Bible says, uh, God promised Israel in the Old Testament. He said, and I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them an heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. You'll notice God is going to give them one heart. He's going to put a new spirit. He's going to make something brand new. 
I mean, you listen, you can try and refurbish the old thing and you can learn some new things. You can uh, take an old computer and you can put some new pieces with it. Um, but if it doesn't have a new motherboard or if you don't buy a new PC, you may not get the performance that you're looking to get out of it. You can try and renovate the old, but we're talking about making something brand new. And so, you know, in this passage, there were people who were enlightened. They received truth, but they weren't necessarily converted. They weren't made into new creatures. They had new insight, but no new creatures. Notice, secondly, the second part of the list, he said that they tasted of the heavenly gift. Notice he says uh, in verse number four, they tasted of the heavenly gift. Now, the focus here is uh, in this text is about the fact of where this gift came from. It was a heavenly gift. The focus is on the generosity of God. The focus is on the fact that God gave them something from heaven. What a blessing it is to be able to receive this from heaven. Now, it doesn't say what this gift is the heavenly gift. I mean, we could speculate about it, but the author doesn't tell us what the heavenly gift is. Uh, he just simply says that, you know, tasted of the heavenly gift. That is the, the heavenly things that God has bestowed. And I think that, you know, we're talking about things that God gives, the goodness of God. Uh, tasting of the heavenly gift, uh, to me, when I look at it, is is probably more about uh, receiving God's blessings, being on the recipient, receiving hand. You know, when you think about um, a, a concept in the Bible, a theological concept we call common grace. You know, common grace allows people to enjoy the same things together in this life. You know, we're, we are, you know, God has blessed us with rain and with sunshine. Um, you know, God has given all of us, you know, boats and recreation and um, all the different types of entertainment and uh, the things that are here for us to be able to enjoy. He's given us the same foods, whether you're saved, or whether you're unsaved. All of us have the blessings of God in the sense that we're experiencing this, this common grace. It allows people to enjoy the, the same things. We enjoy, uh, you enjoy the, some of the same things I enjoy, uh, but lost people enjoy some of the same things that, that saved people enjoy. Uh, they enjoy their families. They enjoy a, a time out to dinner. They enjoy uh, holidays together. Now, that's the common grace of God, but there's a difference between experiencing commonly the good things here in this world, between that and the genuine blessings of God that come from relational living and being part of the body of Christ, being part of, of, a, of a church, you know, coming into uh, the company of God's redeemed and living together in community as God intended. There's a difference between tasting of heavenly gifts or heaven's gifts and the things that we received and the actual individual blessings that come from living in obedience to God. You know, lots of people can experience the goodness of God. They can experience sunsets and family and good food, and they can those can be enjoyed by all people. Uh, think about it in this way. Um, if you threw a party for your kid and uh, you decided to throw them a birthday party, the birthday party is going to look a lot like uh, what you can afford. All right. Uh, if you can afford some an inflatable, you may get an inflatable. If you can afford uh, to have a pool party, you can afford a cake, you can afford balloons. Now, what you would do for your kid may be different than what a millionaire or a billionaire might do for their kid. Take Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates and uh, find out 
what they can do for their kid. Um, the kind of party that they would throw would look like a very different party than the one that you can throw. And you might invite their kid over and say you knew, you know, their their son or their daughter might invite their kid to their birthday party and they may come over and they may have a good time. And your kid is enjoyable and he knows that you're doing the best that you can to be able to give them a great birthday party and everybody enjoys it. But then you get invited to say your kid gets invited over to, to their party. And when they go over there, they, you know, enjoy a day on a on the yacht. Uh, when they go over to their house, they, you know, are, you know, you know, playing with artificial intelligence and looking at the future of civilization because it's very, very different. And so if you threw a party for your kid, it's going to look like you, but it doesn't look like somebody else's party. You know, someone else can attend the party, but it's different. When, than when you're a son or when you're a daughter. So again, you can go to the party, but eventually your kids got to come back home. And they might say, you know, well, my party was pretty weak compared to that guy's party. Now they can have fun and they can enjoy their party. And it's all good because it's the best that we can do. And it's, it's good, but it's not as good as what that guy did for his kid. And then on top of that, when those children are grown, one of these days, that kid is going to receive an easier way. He's going to have his education paid for, and he's going to have maybe a trust fund set up for him, and he's going to inherit a lot of a lot of different things, whereas your kid may not even get an inheritance. Uh, he may not have very much because he doesn't come from that, and he's certainly not going to get that kid's inheritance. Now, now put that in the framework of this particular passage. You know, all of us can experience the blessings of God. But being his child puts us in a different category of blessing. Being his child not only comes with a different category of blessing, but it comes with an inheritance. For those that genuinely know the Lord, there is an inheritance. And so you can taste the heavenly gift. You can partake of it. You can attend the party. And I believe there are people in our churches that are attending the party, but they've never genuinely tasted of the heavenly gift. Uh, thirdly, uh, notice the third thing he says, partakers of the Holy Ghost. Now, certainly this one has got to be a, 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 a link to salvation. Certainly no one can partake of the Holy Ghost uh, or become a partner with the Holy Ghost if, if they haven't uh, been truly saved. It, it, certainly that's not possible. Well, think about this. The Holy Spirit is at work. And uh, when you think about what Jesus said in John 16 and verse number eight, Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God would convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so again, when you think about, about this, there are people that come into our, our, our churches and they sit in our pews and they listen to the preaching and they develop convictions and they have convictions, but they're not their convictions. They're, they're borrowing those convictions. They're hearing the preaching, they're hearing the truth, and they're borrowing those convictions of other believers. And they have convictions as they worship with other believers, but there's a difference between the Holy Spirit working on them and the Holy Spirit working in them. Now, again, when we look at the scriptures, I believe the Holy Spirit has a general work in this world. I believe that he does convict. I believe that lost people can be convicted. You think of Paul. Paul was convicted. God told Paul, Jesus told Paul, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. 
And we find can genuine conviction can come. And sometimes they can make changes in their life. But that is not it's not going to be life changing unless they're coming to Jesus Christ and admitting their sin and coming in a saving knowledge of Christ. That is, they can have outside pressure that's producing behavioral change, but that's different than inward pressure that produces heart change. And the goal of the gospel is what God does in us. It's not what God does on the outside of us, but a genuine believer experiences what God can do in us. Let's consider the the importance of the work going on in us from Romans chapter number eight. This is a great passage where Paul uh, introduces to us the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. You know, the Holy Spirit being with you and the Holy Spirit being in you are different things. Look at Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse number 9, and and notice the the way that this is phrased. The Bible says, uh, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Okay, so again, it's not just having the Spirit. It's not just the Spirit of God at work, but the Spirit of God dwelling in us. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. Verse 10, And if Christ be, look at what he says, in you. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, notice this phrase, dwell in you, dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. See this phrase over and over again? Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. This is the proof that we are genuinely God's children, the Spirit of God dwelling in us. And it's a different spirit because it gives us a relationship. Notice he says, verse 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And then notice he goes on, verse 16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is proof that we are the children of God when he is in us. So, He must be in you and he must be working from within you. There is a difference of God, of the spirit of God working on you and the spirit of God working in you. And I believe people can come to church and they can sit in church and the Holy Spirit can work on them. But the question really is whether the Holy Spirit is working in them. There's a fourth thing here in our text. Back in Hebrews 6, the Bible says that they tasted the good word of God taste of the good word of God. Now, these are people who experience the benefits of living according to the Bible without being saved. They come into the house of God and they hear the, the, the testimony of scripture. Uh, they hear what the Bible says. They accept that the Bible should have some authority in their life and they sit and they listen and they change their behavior. 
and and they resolve that the resolve uh, in their life that they're going to do some things uh, like the Bible says. And if they do what God says, there's a measure of blessing for doing things God's way. That is, you you live in uh, fidelity with your wife. There's blessing to that. Uh, if you live and you stay in your home and you try and be a good father, there's blessing to that. A good mother, there's blessing to that. Um, you, you listen, we, we, we do that, but understand that the resolve of the real Christian is to obey God's word, not just to do it when it's convenient, not just to pick and choose a few things. Uh, the Bible is not simply a, a, a set of principles from which we benefit. The real believer says that this is his guide. This is his rule. This is, this is truth, and I am not going to abandon it. Uh, this is kind of clarified for us in Psalm 119, uh, verse 105, and a very famous passage. Uh, you'll read here with me. The Bible says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So he tells us this is a lamp and a light, okay? And most unbelievers would agree with this, but notice in verse 106, he tells us that we've that he's sworn an oath. He's made a promise. Luke says, I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. That is the one who is, is a genuine believer. The word of God takes a special importance in his life. Takes a, it's not just a casual reading. It's not just something that they do. It's not just something they pick up on Sunday and they take to church and carry to church. It is something they say, listen, I want to seek out what God's will is and I want to obey. I want to do it. Notice what he says in verse 107, I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word, except I beseech thee, the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Notice this as he ends verse 112. I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statute always, even unto the end. Notice he says in verse 11, thy test, 111, thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, forever. And this is the commitment. This is the oath of those that love the word of God. This is this is how they approach it. A very difference. It's a commitment of the real believer to the word of God. Um, again, tasting of it and committing to it, tasting of it and knowing it, tasting of it and having read it is different than actually doing the word of God and becoming a committed and oath-filled follower of the Lord. And then lastly, in our text, he says that they have not only tasted of the word of God, but they have tasted of the powers of the world to come. You know, what's interesting here in this text is Jesus said that people would perform miracles, but he would say to them that he never knew them. He said, well, look what, Look what they're doing. Look at the, the things that they're out there doing. You know, there's some people that are out there and they're saying, well, listen, I served and I, I served in the nursery and I taught Sunday school and, and I did this and I did that thing. You know, it isn't about the great things or the miracles that you did. The problem was the word of God did not change them from the inside. When Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter number seven, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, notice how Jesus would, would put this here in Matthew chapter number seven and verse number 23. 
In this text, Jesus would say, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Look at this. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The issue isn't what it, the issue isn't what they did for Christ. The issue is what they did on in when they weren't serving Him. That is, you know, they, it was a nice show while they were serving. I mean, the Bible says here, not everyone that says says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me, Lord, we've prophesied and cast out devils, and in Thy name done many wonderful works. And He'll say, Listen, I never knew you. You were you were workers of iniquity in your life. You said you were out there, and so for the praise of men, for the the public demonstration, you did all the right things. But in private, you were workers of iniquity because I didn't know you. You know, think about this. Judas did some amazing things, but he was never born again. I mean, think about that. Think think about this in context. He's one of our examples that we're using. The powers of the world to come. Jesus said that people would perform miracles, but he would never know them. And so it seems as we look at our text and as we finish up here today, this list of five things are things that the Bible says were, it's a list. And it seems as though if you looked at it, if you looked at these people from the outside, you would think that they were genuinely saved. But the issue is that they were not. They were not genuinely saved. They had a form of godliness. And so they're on the precipice of, of, of apostasy and they're getting ready to turn and walk away from their faith after having experienced all these things. And the warning is going to come in verse number six, the limitation that we look at in verse number six, that is impossible to renew them again to repent. So we'll look at that, Lord willing, in our next study. We hope you'll join us and uh, we look at verses six uh, down to verse number nine next week and finish out this most difficult passage of scripture. I hope it's been a help and a blessing to you. I hope it's an encouragement to you. I hope that wherever you're at, you'll stop and examine yourself examine your own heart, examine your own fruit, examine whether or not you're genuinely in the faith. Look at the fruit and the faithfulness of your life and heed the warning of Hebrews chapter number six of being almost, of dating Jesus, but not being in a committed and loving relationship. He loves us too much. He wants us. He desires for relationship with us. May the Lord help us to realize that today. Thank you so much for joining us today on this Tuesday edition of Wisdom in the Word. We hope that you'll join us on Thursday and submit more of your questions as we continue uh, answering the questions of our listeners and taking time to be able to spell those things out from the scriptures. So if you would uh, join us on Thursday and uh, then next Tuesday, we'll continue on into verse number six of our study here in Hebrews chapter number six. Have a great day and God bless. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Wisdom in the Word podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, we invite you to support us by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this show on your favorite podcast app and sharing something you've learned on social media. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope to see you next time on Wisdom in the Word.